Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 300, sorry, 408. Look at that. Let's get the whole hundred right <laughs> Don't push there. Us back 408. In time. <laughs> and we're recording live on uh, March 25th. Yeah, it's uh, it's spring. It's sunny outside and uh, the birds are chirping and everything's uh, everything's happening. How about you? How are you, Abriana? I am good. Yes, the spring spring has sprung here. We've got flowers on the tree and uh, pollen on the cars, so that's what we do here in Atlanta, um, and most people have allergies and are just suffering through it. it kind of stinks because, like, when the weather is so beautiful and you want to be outside, and mm. you then you're like miserable for being outside. But um, yeah, so everything's going well. We did have one thing. If you are driving today and you happen to be attending the LBMA um, and Mobile Marketer event tonight. Um, yeah, don't go because it's been postponed. We have changed it. We have had some speaker changes, and so um, we have moved it. And so the new date, put it on your calendar, is May 23rd. It is also a Thursday, and it will be at the same location. Um, but we just wanted to make sure that we have an awesome event, and um, obviously speakers are part of that. So there you go. that's what we're doing. Perfect. Don't show up. You will be alone. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's May 23rd and mad now. At me. <laughs> May 23rd yeah. in Atlanta. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we have a good show for you. We have three industry news stories, some pretty wacky stuff. Uh, we've got uh, three member news stories, and we have a guest this week uh, from uh, Neil Christ from Moz. So, um, yeah, we might as well jump right into it. I'll let you kick it off. Yeah. So, this story is um, a really interesting story. I don't even know how to like go about telling this. I was telling a thief. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just so like, beside myself, but there is this company called Open Meals, and they have decided they want to create 3D printed sushi. Um, not a big deal, right? But the way that they're going to do this is by analyzing things about you. Now, what I mean by things about you, I'm not talking like facial recognition and recommending a sushi roll. I'm talking about they're going to analyze your saliva, urine, and stool so that every piece can be tailored to a consumer's needs. Um, and like what they need from a nutrition standpoint. So the vision is to create this restaurant that will launch next year with like robotic arms, 3D printers, and then the, the machines are fed with this bio data that helps them create um, this like one-off, you know, custom experience sushi. So they debuted the 3D printing uh, sushi last year at South by Southwest. And um, it's like 3D printed cubes from this edible gel. I mean, it looks like really high tech, but it kind of looks like space food. It does not look like a sushi roll. Um, I mean, sure, I would try it, but I just can't even imagine like this whole, I don't know, this whole experience. But um, the restaurant's going to be in Tokyo. It's going to be called Sushi Singularity. And if you want foods inspired by your feces and that is like really speaking to you and resonating with you as a foodie diner then you have to make a reservation and when you make this reservation they send you out this kit that you like collect all of your bodily fluids in and send it back in so that they can have this ready for you Ugh, I am just so like turned off by this I can't even imagine like doing all of this work just for some food but I can imagine there's probably going to be some people that do it um 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, okay, I'm down with the 3D printed food idea to an extent. I just don't really want, I don't really want to print my food. Like, I want to know where my food came from. I want it to be natural. I want it to be, you know, as organic and non-GMO and all of those healthy things as possible. Um, so the printing thing would be like a step, maybe like a, a an experience for one night. But if it's based off of like me having to do anything with fluids in a cup, no, I'm done. I'm I am good. I think that just is a big turnoff for me. But um, I don't know. I I want to hear from from our listeners. Like, what do you guys think about this? This is like out there. What do you think, Asi? Yeah, I think it's pretty wild. Um, I'm with you. Like, I, I mean, I would try it as a one-off thing, but it's not like I'm not going to go all of a sudden start eating 3D printed sushi or 3D printed anything for, from a food perspective. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of 3D printing in general, like in, in, you know, making personalized, you know, items and clothing and, you know, goods of all sorts, but food, nah, I kind of draw the line on that, right? Like, so I'm all about, like, it should be real and natural and, and, and everything else, but the experience of it, the technology use case of it, yeah, sure, I, I can buy into that. The personalization at this level, I guess, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I was talking to a guy last week um, uh, on, with my other startup business uh, on the medicinal cannabis side. And, um, you know, he's he's coming at it from uh, the medical doctor perspective. He's a he's a, a medical doctor and he was talking about, you know, he runs a series of clinics across the country and all this sort of stuff, the biggest in, in, in Canada. And and he was saying that they're moving heavily into, um, you know, like personalized medicine and stem cells and understanding, you know, every person's genome and all that has a different you know, sort of effect on their health and what they eat. And it all needs to be personalized and tailored. So from that perspective, I get it. Um, but you know, I, I, like this is going too far for me, like in the, in, in the restaurant sense. And the, like, I, like I can't see people are going to really gravitate towards this. I mean, um, you know, like I did this, you know, the saliva swab and sent it in for ancestry purposes and all of that. Like, that's fine. Right. But I don't have to go eat something now because of that. Right. Like, I don't know. I, it, so I feel like if this was if this was derived for you like um, a diet based thing like this is what you should eat and this is what you shouldn't eat based upon sure you know like your your blood or your saliva or all of the other things then you know that would be fine but I feel like having the same company analyze your stool and then I mean are they doing this in the same place that they're printing the food I mean I don't know what's going on like yeah I always heard you don't shit where you eat but uh you know like I don't know about this whole thing like this is just you know like what where is the the division between you know I think like tailoring things for different diets is always like a great idea like here's something that's paleo friendly or keto friendly or whatever it may be sure that is or gluten-free right but then like when it comes to something that's tailored for you, I can't, I just, it seems like it's, uh, just, it, it's very muddy waters whenever you're saying like, we're going to do the analysis and we're. Yeah. So it's a, for me, it's a big stretch. I, and I can't, honestly, I can't see, you know, a, a mass, you know, movement towards this kind of thing. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but you know, as, as Aubrey said, if you're listening, if you're watching the show, you know, especially people in our, in our Tokyo chapter, you know, who would have, you know, a chance to maybe go to this restaurant and try it out. We want to hear from you. Tell us about this experience, what you think about it. Uh, you know where you... this should be, Asif? 
The space station. The like, space that's where this should be. Space station. There you go. All right. Yeah, because they, right, like, they're already recycling the urine up there anyways, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Okay, on to our second story. Um, PayPal has teamed up with Instagram on a new shopping experience. It's called Checkout on Instagram. And uh, basically, shoppers can buy, track, and manage their purchases with a bunch of leading retailers directly through Instagram. Um, they've, they've announced Nike, Revolve, and Burberry as the three uh, initial brands. Uh, there's a total of 20 brands in all that are going to be part of this, uh, this, this, this initial rollout, including Adidas, Dior, Warby Parker, others. Um, and you can pay with Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express, and PayPal. And, um, yeah, so, I, I mean, it's interesting, right, because we were just talking the other week about Pinterest and Kroger and, um, you know, the linkages between commerce and, and social uh, platforms like that. And here you have now, you know, direct shopping payment uh, experiences being built into Instagram. This, to me, is a, you know, is a logical step. Like, this is something that they all should be doing. Twitter should be doing it. Everybody should be doing it. Uh, in, in creating a platform for brands to be able to to showcase products on the, uh, you know on these platforms where there's millions and millions of eyeballs and followers, uh, and enabling people to buy directly, uh, you know through that and to pay in whatever mechanism you can as many as possible. So you know I'm glad that PayPal's there, um, you know and you know and I think this this is a, a no-brainer partnership for me. Yeah, I love this. You know, I'm a big fan of the whole like Instagram shopping experience and anything that you can do to streamline that um, and make it easier to check out from a retail perspective just makes so much sense to me, right? Like it's it's like, um, you know, grabbing like the gum or like the fun little packaged goods when you're checking out of, you know, the drugstore or Sephora or like whatever. Everything is right there. So it's a very easy, just like quick impulse buy. Um and especially, I mean, for higher end brands, I don't know, like how much, you know, I feel like Burberry, you're going to be thinking more about it. But, um, you know, like Adidas, um, I feel like the pop up shops and like the smaller mom and pop shops are the ones that would really benefit from this. Um, and I would love to see them even integrate Apple Pay. But I think this is a great, you know, opportunity for like a, an enhanced shopping experience. So I am all for it and I love it. There you go. All right. All right, so Postmates is our next story, and if you use Postmates now, you might have a chance to kind of save on that delivery fee, um, and what they're doing is they're adding like a pool option. Um, so kind of think about like Uber pool, you know, like where you can kind of carpool with other people and you're going in the same direction. Um, well, this is called Postmates Party, and basically it's like a group order function. So customers have five minutes to select their orders from this like an area, um, of trending locations or trending locations, trending, I guess, restaurants, right, that are delivering in a specific area. And then if they can do that, then they have no delivery fee. So this is, they're rolling this out in New York, LA, Miami, Chicago, Seattle, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Philadelphia. Um, so I think this is like great in order to save on that delivery fee. But my concerns here is like, one, it's almost like gamified a little bit. Like, can I do it? Can I order fast enough? I hope I don't have any special requests and I get something really quick. And, um, I don't know, like, <laughs> can you do it quick enough to, you know, get that five minute order in and make sure that you are a part of that. And then also like if you have multiple orders and drop offs, 
is your food going to be cold? Is it going to be stale? Is it going to be not so great? Um, you know, I would worry about this more from like a customer service perspective and delivering like the quality versus, um, you know, being able to save on the delivery fees. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of my question. I feel like the delivery is already very iffy, like with the, like any of, not just Postmates, but like any of these services, the delivery option for me is always, um, it's just harder because you don't know what, how the food's going to arrive. What's it going to look like? Is it going to be disheveled? Is it going to be cold? You know, all of those things. So I feel like this is like adding another wrench in that and, um, it can be a little complicated, but you know, if you're just trying to save on that delivery fee and want something fast and you have no special requests whatsoever, meaning you're probably not a female like me, uh, then maybe this is a great option for you. I like that they're thinking about it, right? I just don't know the execution. Yeah. And and I think it speaks to a bigger trend of trying to to find efficiencies, pooling orders in general. Like I, um, we talked a little while back about this uh, startup called Renera. They're actually coming out to speak at Retail Loco on on this last mile panel that we're doing. Uh, and they're the guys who, um, they, they, they came out of the, um, the Target incubator. They work with Target now. And so it's, they built this platform where you can, um, you know, be connected to other people in your neighborhood kind of thing and somebody can say hey i'm going to target now to to pick up whatever and then other people can kind of jump in on that and say hey well while you're there can you grab this for me and that for me and whatever and um and there's there's a service fee for this and then in the end target realized well wait a second we're we're getting a lot of extra business from this because uh, people are you know adding into the orders we'll just cover that fee um, and so I think that's interesting. And we're kind of this idea of pooling orders, pooling, uh, services is, is, is happening in a number of different ways. Postmates just being, you know, the latest example of that. So, yeah, I, I think there's efficiencies there, but when it comes to food, like, uh, I'm with you. I, I think there's a lot of other issues that need to be dealt with in terms of, you know, am I getting the food in a timely fashion? Is it hot? Is it, you know? All that sort of stuff, right? Because the more you add to that, um, the more complex it gets. And if you're the last of the five orders that have been pooled, then where do you sit, right? And and how happy are you? Soggy. Be? So yeah. Soggy. So <laughs> anyhow, so that's uh, yeah. There you go. Check it out. Postmates party. Okay, uh, that's our three industry news stories for this week. Uh, I'm going to shift gears now, and uh, we have a guest. Uh, his name is Neil Christ. Uh, he's the head of product for a company called Moz. Uh, Moz is actually the host of our Retail Loco conference coming up April 24th and 25th in Seattle, where they're based uh, at their uh, facility called the Mozplex. And um, yeah, they do lots of interesting things. And I'll let Neil talk about kind of who they are and what they're doing and and uh, what we can expect to hear uh, at Retail Loco this year. So here he is, Neil Christ. All right, I'm excited because we have a special guest this week. His name is Neil Christ, and he's the head of product at one of our fantastic LBMA companies, uh, Moz. Uh, they also happen to be a uh, the, the, the head uh, title sponsor of our upcoming Retail Local Conference in Seattle. Neil, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, maybe uh, I, I think you know most people probably have heard of Moz by now, but just uh, for those who haven't, you know, what are you guys all about, and what's what's your role uh, in the organization? Yeah, so Moz is a Seattle-based software company that uh, currently it's been in business a little over 15 years. Uh, we have about 34,000 paying customers uh, across all business segments, 
And the core business that we're in is in search engine optimization. And sort of the way I think about that more broadly is how do businesses optimize for search, right? And so this is really, really becomes uh, valuable when you think about local and all the changes that are happening in local. So from, so Moz focuses on overall SEO, but we are, we have been for quite some time over the last three or four years and certainly going forward, investing quite a bit of, inve of time and money into developing uh, more intelligence when it comes to location-based search optimization um, and helping clients understand what are the elements of, of your data, what are the elements of your uh, web assets that contribute to uh, search traffic ultimately. And is that, is that coming through just helping them understand how to geocode their data better uh, so that it's optimized uh, you know, for SEO? Yeah, so that that's part of it. Um, I, you know, if I took a step back and, and talked about the broader context, um, you know, if you think about location-based marketing as a whole, like we we all know that uh, it is in a rapid state of change. You think about the emergence of voice, uh, the emergence of something more broad that I would call conversational search, uh, as well as the prolif proliferation of just devices in general that that perform some sort of search function for consumers. All of these things sort of fit together to, to sort of paint a picture of, of, uh, of rapid change and then, you, and then you take a step even further back and say, okay, within my marketing mix, um, which could include things like paid, uh, things like search optimization, it's really interesting to look at the market and say, you know, in fact, these, these stats might be interesting for, for listeners that broadly across the industry, and this is in the United States, 90% of marketing spend is directed towards paid marketing, hmm. right? And so as it show up in search, uh, that only accounts for 2.8% of clicks. Right. As a, on the other side of the spectrum, 10% of marketing budget is spent on search optimization, search and SEO, which accounts for 62% of clicks and traffic. So there's a 20x multiplier in terms of the opportunity if, if brands are thinking about not just am I geocoded correctly, but what are the other elements of my business that, that contribute to uh, competitively showing up within search? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that, that, I mean, that makes so it, it could, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I was gonna say, so it could make, it could be things like uh, business hours, it could be things like uh, the richness of, of a particular profile and the, the, the specific types of content that's there. It could be uh, reviews, right? There are all these different elements. It could be uh, pure proximity. All these elements sort of contribute to how you show up against your competitors within a certain search. And then you layer on top of that location, uh, geography, uh, as well as the vertical itself that you're competing in. And all those elements play out to create a very different search engine result experience for the consumer. So what's what's really imperative is that marketers that are spending money and investing in these different tactics, they really need to understand how they show up within these local uh, search experiences. Yeah, and, and I assume um, 
you know, for, I, I mean, as you said, most most major companies are are doing some form of this and spending money on, on this, in, in, um, you know, at some level, anyways. I think that's right. You know, one of the challenges is is, is there's so many platforms to optimize for uh, today, uh, and and uh, trying to do that on your own, number one, is is a full time job, uh, and most don't have the resources to do that. And so you need a company like Moz or others in the industry to to kind of do that for you because it, it's not, you know, I, I always compare the, the this segment of the industry a bit like um, domain registry, right? You know, if I had to go and, and make sure that every domain registrar out there knew that I had that domain secured and it wasn't fully propagated across the, the system naturally, um, you know, across, you know, register.com and GoDaddy and everybody else, um, you know, then I'd have a big, a big job of trying to do that, right, uh, on behalf of my business. But because it's managed, um, you know, it, it, that job becomes a lot easier for me, right? And I think the same kind of rules apply in this in that there's so many platforms to optimize for and make sure that you show up on that you really need a third party like, like Moz to do that. And, uh, and, and it's constantly changing, right? Like it's, you know, That's right. the algorithms are changing, the number of platforms are changing, the... You know, there's so many uh, different attributes to it that you have to, to to be designing for. So, shifting gears a little bit, uh, obviously Moz is uh, is a big part of our upcoming retail local event, uh, April 24th and 25th in Seattle, hosted at, at your uh, facilities. Um, what are you going to be focusing on in terms of your uh, your talk and uh, your discussion there at the at the event itself? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, and by the way, we're we're really excited to host. Uh, the event. Um, this will be, I think, our second year yep. doing so. Um, it's a great event, great attendance, and a lot of uh, really great topics. What what I'll be specifically digging into, I think, is some of what I've alluded to in this uh, in this session, which is really trying to connect uh, the 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 rapid change in local search with real practical examples about how that impacts a location based brand and. Um, I'll give, uh, we're actually um, doing some research right now that I'll actually provide the outcomes of that research. Uh, we'll show particular use cases that are relevant to some of the audience and some of the brands in attendance. And really the, the, the notion here is, you know, as Moz moves towards focusing in on local much more deeply and unlocking insights and marketing insights in that space, my my discussion will probably spend a lot of time sort of teasing out how you can put that those insights to work within your marketing strategy. Okay, okay. And is a big part of that, uh, as you, you alluded to, voice earlier and conversational commerce, is that, how are you seeing that evolve in the marketplace today? I mean, we're, we're certainly seeing it. Lots of people are asking about voice in particular. Um, you know, and we're seeing even brands playing around with, you know, coupons on Alexa or in Google Home uh, in the same way that we had couponing going on in, you know, beacons in stores. Um, you know, how do you see that playing out in, in, in search and in, in voice in particular? Yeah, so uh, great question. The, so there are a couple things. One is um, there is there is a lack of, of information out there uh, generally to the public in terms of how voice results are being uh, constructed, uh, depending on the device you're using. And one of the things that we've been doing is doing a lot of R&D to start to uh, tie and correlate uh, how search results, uh, voice search results come 
to consumers and correlate that to existing structures that we see within the search ecosystem. And so we're drawing those con those connections. And one great example of that is um, if you ever if you're uh, asking a question within Google, you'll notice that it also suggests similar questions. Mm -hmm. Right? People also ask questions. Uh, that is a great signal, actually, of the types of questions people are asking, and it actually helps um, that structure and that format. We're seeing correlation between uh, that structure and uh, what you're seeing in voice questions and voice response. And so it's things like that that we're starting to see, okay, um, here are the strategies that brands need to employ in order to optimize for search, right, just from a pure data yeah. structure perspective. And then I think we get to another place that um, I may be able to share some more about, which is um, beyond just structuring your basic uh, data and information and assets for voice search, what's the next level? Where is this going? Right? And, th and that's where conversational search comes in because then it becomes something about consumers asking basic questions um, with, it, with a variety of different devices mm -hmm. right? in their car, in their home, in their bedroom. And as a brand, you need to make sure you're able to show up within the within that conversation. And so what are the strategies you need to employ? What are the technologies you need to employ? Uh, and those are things I hope I can share and shed some light on, at least for, for the attendees to uh, start planning for uh, in, in 2019 and beyond. Yeah, I think you, you touched on something really interesting for me, and, and we obviously at the LBMA, we've, we've covered this for some time, you know, the idea of the connected car, and we're seeing big movements there in commerce. Uh, we're seeing, like, Domino's just announced a massive, uh, you know, um, use case for them, which is, you know, ordering directly from your vehicle, like through the, the in-car system. We've got Pandora coming to speak uh, on, on the radio side. Uh, about what they're doing um, in integration there. And so uh, I think there's, there's a lot of movement in that space. And I think obviously voice is, is the, the best way uh, to communicate when you're in a vehicle because you don't want to be touching your phone or doing anything else, right? So, um, you know, so I think if we can, you know, work with companies, uh, if brands can understand how to optimize, how to, you know, code, how to make sure that they, they know what, you know what people are looking for and the right questions that people the questions that people are asking uh, and then building and crafting the responses to that I think uh, you know they're, they're gonna be in a much better place so thank you uh, for, for taking a few minutes out of your day I appreciate it uh, we look forward to seeing you in person uh, at the conference and uh, yeah again for our listeners and fo uh, watchers and followers out there um, we've been chatting with Neil Christ he's the head of product for Moz uh, check them out, uh, just moz.com or Z, depending on whether you're Canadian or American. Um, and um, yeah, you can, um, or wherever else you're in the world, I guess, too, because we have listeners all over the world. So, um, but yeah, check them out. Uh, check out uh, Neil in particular. Come meet him um, uh, in Seattle at the conference. And uh, Neil, again, thanks. We appreciate your time. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. Uh, always great to connect. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to seeing uh, you in person at Retail Loco. Okay, on to our, uh, our member news stories for this week. And I'll kick this off with our first story, which is, uh, comes from Air France. Uh, so they've launched a, uh, a new startup company uh, called Sky Deals. Uh, it's an e-commerce platform that is focused on onboard 
uh, flights um, and they're testing this out right now so it's you know we've all done sort of that uh, you know been on an airplane and you see the the info in-flight shopping entertainment system you know and more and more we have flights with you know Wi-Fi built in and all that sort of stuff and so they're trying to leverage the technology that's available there and so they built this online marketplace that can target offers based on a traveler's profile and their destination uh, so they're using location data, they're using a bunch of different things in here, and they're presenting offers that, whether or not they're available in the duty-free. So it's not limited to just what their normal duty-free stuff is. Uh, they've opened up kind of uh, the, the platform to, to make it available in a number of different things. And um, so they say, like, for example, buying options include flyover offers, which are uh, preferred offers triggered according to the area and country that you're flying over. Uh, and it's only available during the flyover time. So it, again, it's time limited. There's group buying offers. Passengers on the same flight can be grouped together to obtain you know, bigger discounts. That's kind of cool. Um, and then flash sales. Uh, these are offers that are valid for only uh, 15 minutes at specific times during the flight, uh, as well as flying auctions, real auctions lasting the entire time of the flight. So I like how they're playing around and gamifying uh, things in a number of different ways here, uh, you know, by getting passengers engaged with, you know, buying things, but also engaged with each other, right? Um, in the case of uh, some of the group buying stuff and, and that type of thing. So, yeah, you know, this, I always wondered, like, as a guy who flies a lot, you fly a lot, I always wonder how much these airlines actually make, you know, in terms of duty-free sales. Like, like I can't fathom to think that it's it's a big number right and so anything you can do in my opinion to move that number a little bit higher increase your profit margins a little bit more um you know whether especially if you're going to kind of gamify it a little bit like they're trying to do here i think is a good move it makes sense to me yeah so i think um i do like that they're playing around with this and gamifying it but um i also think of how i am as a traveler and when i get on that airplane i just need to like relax i mean you know, I've somehow successfully packed a suitcase, managed to get out the door without like, you know, my kids and, you know, going through all of that is like super stressful. And I feel like I'm always on like two hours of sleep and, you know, making sure like, am I going to get there in time? How bad is traffic going to be? How long is the security line going to be? So when I get on that plane, I'm like, <sighs> like mm -hmm. the last thing I want to do is gamify something else. Like I have just played a real life game and I like have won. So <laughs> Let me just enjoy that moment. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I feel like there are some opportunities for them. So maybe there are people who are, like, traveling more leisurely and they just want to, you know, be able to look at those deals and maybe on an international flight the time to do it could be really interesting. Yeah. Um, the flyover stuff is kind of a cool idea. Um, you know, I would love to see something kind of like an Amazon type of a partnership with this where they're like, at your gate, right? Like you mm -hmm. forgot something and you want something at your gate when you get off that plane. And these are the items that we can have at the gate for you, right? Like toothbrush, cool. toothpaste, like whatever, clothing item, a jacket, like, you know, I was- An I, international was adapter for your yes. uh, yeah, power? Yes, like all of those things. So if you have like, you know, you get that, you finally like relax and you're like, oh, I forgot whatever, right? Like I can't believe I didn't pack this or my, my computer charger, my phone charger, whatever it may be. So I feel like there's a real opportunity for these types of, you know, plays to, rather than gamifying it, um, filling the need that's already there, which is crap, I forgot something. Um, 
and it can be ready for me at the gate. I don't have to stop and go find a store that carries it. So I don't know, just a thought, but yeah, I like it. I like it. Cool. All right. So staying with kind of the retail trend, this is um, a Macy's story. And Macy's has rolled out a virtual reality partnership with a company called Markstent VR. And um, we've heard a little bit about this, at least I have. And I know that we've heard a lot of other furniture companies kind of looking at different VR, AR, things that they can do and how they can kind of move into this space and provide value. And I like this application of VR because what they're doing is they have this whole like furniture experience. So they have kind of rigged this up where uh, people can come into their spaces. There's about 70 stores that they had scheduled at the end of last year. And then they were adding about 20 more stores this year to roll it out to. So you can go into Macy's and um, you use like a, a headset and you can kind of create your living space with all of the Macy's furniture that's available. And then you can sort of enjoy it and say like, how would I like this? You can do it in smaller spaces. So you can say like, how is this furniture going to look together? Um, you know, what are the elements going to look like? What is my perspective going to be while I'm sitting on the sofa? Like, mm -hmm. am I going to enjoy that? Right. Um, and they are extending this even further through what they call IRL or in real life, um, the, the mobile app experience. So people can actually do this in the, you know, in the comfort of their own homes, if they have their own, um, like a box headset to use with their phones to kind of create their own VR thing. So you can say, like, what is this going to look like in my home or in whatever space that they have available um, to do that? So I like this. I think it makes sense. You know, it's something it's a larger purchase decision. And so they want people to be able to test it out. They can make a more informed decision um, on their products, you know, before committing. And I think this just, you know, these are things you want to see. Like you want to imagine what it's going to look like in your space or in a space before, you know, you commit to it. And sometimes when you're on a floor that has, you know, 600 different sofas you know you can't like imagine what one's going to look like in your space it's hard to take it out of that um that vision and put it kind of in your own mind or with your own stuff so um i love this and i think it's going to be very uh you know profit driven for them because i think it allows people to make a more timely decision and not have to think about it so much um and it also gives the power to the customer to say like am i going to like this maybe less returns as well yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think this is a good application uh, of VR. I mean, VR is one of those things where it's it's still pretty expensive. It's it's not mass consumer, you know, uh, available or, 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 you know, usable, uh, I would say, for, for many applications. But this is one of the applications where I think it makes a lot of sense. And we've seen IKEA, we've seen Lowe's, we've seen a number of other brands kind of go down this path. And I think when it comes to big ticket items like furniture, um, being able to visualize that, being able to see it in your space with your walls and your colors and your whatever, um, you know, I think is it makes a lot of sense. And I think if they can do it in a way that is cost effective for them, uh, you know, from a retail perspective, and yet uh, enables, um, you know, the, the potential customer to see and visualize, um, then, then I think it can be quite beneficial. And, and, you know, Macy's has been very progressive on this kind of stuff. Like, I mean, you know, they were there doing you know, uh, come in and transport yourself to Santa's workshop at Christmas with VR. They, you know, they, so they're, 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 you know, I, I always applaud these guys for being willing to try and experiment and test. And I think this is yet another example of, uh, you know, rolling something out at, at scale. I mean, 90 stores now, right? So, um, you know, across the country that, uh, where you can go in and have this experience. And, and it's funny because with the, 
exit of Sears, right? Um, which you know, I, I would argue ha- had some market share in the furniture business. You know, uh, there's room to to kind of pick up some of that, right? Um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure necessarily Macy's is the first place I think of when I think about furniture. I don't know about you, but um, you know, certainly if you're trying to build, you know, uh, a market share around that and trying to build a brand around that, you know, embracing technology uh, is one way to do it. Uh, especially if you're going after, you know, millennials and and you know, younger people that are, you know, trying to uh, furnish their homes. So. There you go. There you go. All right. Our final story this week is uh, from Sam's Club. Yes, uh, they are owned by retail giant Walmart. Um, And they're developed and testing an app uh, that uses a camera for mobile shopping experience uh, uh, that basically identifies products in your in your shopping cart, in your basket uh, with image data instead of using barcodes. Uh, So it's called Scan and Go. Uh, so they're basically trying to figure out other ways to make this kind of shop and, you know, sort of not have to go through a checkout line more efficient, uh, kind of Amazon go like, but without barcodes. Um, and, uh, so they're testing this, uh, they've developed this out of their Dallas innovation lab. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's kind of cool. It's, you know, they're testing all sorts of things in here, but basically, um, it's a scanning process using image, uh, recognition, uh, data uh, and technology um, and you put the stuff in your cart the purchase takes place through the app you don't have to stand in line you know we've talked about these kinds of things before and I think there's a general movement towards this in retail overall funny enough is I was reading this story and then up here in Canada where I am the biggest pharmacy chain is called Shoppers Drug Marts like our, our Walgreens up here uh, they're the biggest one across across the, the nation um, and there's a big pushback right now in the news right now from the employees talking about how they're being forced to drive customers in the stores to go use the uh, self-checkout stuff um, as opposed to, you know, going through the regular checkouts. And they're not happy about it. And so, you know, on the one hand, I, I'm a big fan of this type of technology and the, the efficiencies and the time it saves the, the end consumer. On the other hand, I think we need to have a good balance, right, of, you know, jobs, real people, customer service, and customer experience and efficiency, like in finding the balance between those things. But good on Sam's Club for trying. Yeah, I agree. I think this is really interesting. So Saturday morning, I actually took a trip to um, a Sam's Club competitor, Costco, with my two girls. So it's me. And thank God they have those like giant shopping carts that you can put two kids in. But like, you know, when I walk out of Costco, like my basket is, you know, just overfilled stuff's falling out of it and so the idea of having something like this where I don't have to pull everything out and scan it would be like amazing and thank god to your point the whole like customer experience and the employee thing you know I usually go through the self-checkout because it's just faster a lot of times um and but there's always somebody who's kind of manning all four of those places that will come over with his handheld scanner and help you not have to pull out all the large items you know so it's like that. I think it's a balance. It is a balancing act. But I think um, looking ahead at new technologies that could speed up the checkout process and just make it easier um, is certainly beneficial. So I'm glad that they're looking at this and anything that could enhance the customer experience is appreciated. There you go. All right. Yeah. That's our show for this week. Uh, three industry news stories, three member news stories. 
a special guest in the middle, uh, and uh, some crazy 3D printed sushi. So um, anyhow, uh, we appreciate you listening, watching. Uh, if you have feedback on any of these stories, if you have story ideas that we, you think we should be talking about, reach out to us. Uh, let us know. Uh, contact information is at the end of the show. Uh, we're easily found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those things. Um, so yeah, let us know. And we'll be back, of course, next week with episode 409. If you don't have your ticket yet for Retail Loco, go get it retaillow.co uh it's april 24th and 25th in seattle uh and we hope to see lots of you there all right bye have a great week bye